0: And so, so, when I started printing again, because printing was what I loved in, in college, that it became my, my love, because it was, was, it was before computers, and it felt like it was instant grat, because I could, when all the kids left school at 3.30, I could start printing, and I didn't have to queue up with other kids to burn a screen and then print a color, and then when it dried, I'd start another one. Uh, I could print a whole print in one night, and it was like, that was pretty instantaneous in those days, so... Um, I started printing again in the late 80s and the first thing I did is I printed with all fluorescent colors and phosphorescent ink on top of that, all things that the record company would have said, each one cost you 10 cents, and I just, I said I'm printing everything in fluorescent and phosphorescent and uh, so I, I got that out of my system and after about 30-some prints. But, but I always protected that side of me, and I didn't, I didn't want to get involved with museums or galleries because I thought, that's going to be like being with a record company. I know it will be. I know. And uh, so I avoided it, and I did gallery shows with, like, pop-up galleries, and I did about 125 uh, like during a 10-year period, starting about 15 years ago, and uh, did some up here in uh, in um in River. yeah, around in Michigan, definitely a number of places in Michigan, in Detroit and and Saginaw and uh, Ypsilanti, and uh, and I remember, you know, it was always like this kind of thing where it would be these. These a couple of kids that were getting out of college that that year, and they were going to get a job. They were going to be doing graphics for somebody. You know, maybe Kmart or maybe uh, J.C. Penney's or 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 some company would hire them to do the graphics in the newspaper every week, or they would help them do graphics for a catalog. But before they did that job, they still had some time, and they were going to show people right here in Saginaw that we've got some of the best street artists as there are in the world. We've got people right here in our little city that are just as good as, as Shepard Ferry or uh, Banksy or or any of those those guys. And, and uh, they would find some part of town. They wouldn't be where all the other galleries were. They'd go, like, out into, like, a warehouse district where they could get some dump of a room and uh, call it their gallery, and they'd put out flyers, and 30 of their best friends would show up with skateboards, and, and they'd have one keg of beer, and nobody from the Saginaw Bugle would show up, you know, and so nobody knew who they were, and they would eventually, all these galleries, they all eventually die out. Um, except for maybe there might be a few of them that managed to avoid that but most of them, I think all of them just died out, but for me it was, I, I had a friend of mine who was out of work and he needed a job and I said, I got a job for you get Juxtapose magazine and look in the back for these little half inch high ads that cost 20 bucks a piece and look for galleries, little galleries all over the world and call them and ask them if they, they want to do a show. And so he started doing that. And we'd call these galleries, and they go, Mark Mothersbaugh, the guy that writes the music for Rugrats? <laughs> and he'd go, yeah, because they wouldn't even know who Devo was. They were too young to even know what Devo was. And why does he want a show here? And he goes, he likes your gallery. And, and um, these kids were, like, excited about art the way diva was when we started you know because like by the time i got out to hollywood and was doing films then it's like you got directors and producers showing up at your studio and they're all they do is complain about the about the um contract they have with their whoever the studio is and they just talk about all the things they they hated about the movie and it was just kind of you know, although I could, like, go off and do my own thing with the music, I still had to listen to them, and so it was kind of nice to get, have, have a little time with these kids that were, like, still inspired and still loved art, and um, it was good for them because they could call the Saginaw Bugle, who had refused to do an article about them, and they could go, we're doing a show with Mark Mothersbaugh," and they go, you mean the guy that wrote, if they're young, the guy that works at the Saginaw paper, you might go, you mean the guy who does music for Rug, for um, uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse? And then if they were a little older, they'd go, oh, you mean the guy from Devo? And uh, anyhow, so they'd say, that's so weird. Why would he show at this dump? And you know, cause you know, he, they, it was in a, some part of town where you, where like the art buyers were not gonna go, you know, like dentists, We're not going to take their wives to this weird warehouse district to to go look at art but you know they could get people you know we could get people to some people to show up at their gallery and they and it would get them an article in the saginaw bugle for the first time and and so it was a this thing where it was symbiotic and and i was really happy with that i was really totally fine with that existence and then some big gallery guy from New York showed up at my, called me up and said, hey, are you represented? I hear you're doing shows. And I said, yeah. And um, I don't have any representation. No, I just do it myself. And he said, well, I want to look at your art. And he came over and he looked at it and he goes, I can't sell art for these prices. You have to, my clients need things that cost $50,000 or more. I can't sell artwork for $300. That's what you sell that for? And so I said, well, yeah, but I show at these small galleries right now, and I get emails all the time where kids will send me a photo, and they'll say, I just bought my first piece of art this weekend. And uh, they'll send me a picture of their their living room or their bedroom or whatever room they stuck the art up in. And he's like, wow, you've got a lot to learn, or you're just... there's something wrong with you and it screwed me up a little bit because then I was like uh oh did I really mess up and so I was kind of like in this place where I felt really like I'd really made a big mistake maybe and I thought I was doing the right thing and it made me question myself anyhow and so and at the same time I'm doing Wes Anderson movies and uh, doing things like the movie 21 jump street or or whatever movie i've done uh, at the same time that i can because i figured out this way to like write a piece of music tell my engineer okay put that into the film where it's supposed to be and so while he was mixing it i could go and i have this other room at my studio i could go over there and i could take like these cards that i work on and if i found one that i really liked like if i really liked this beetle be- being held in a it looks like a diaper or something a giant beetle in a diaper, I, I could, um, I could put, scan it and then put it in my computer and, and work on it a little more, maybe add color, and I, had a pr- I have a printer there so I could then print out prints, and I just do like limited numbers, like a couple, two or three, so that this kid that was buying one inexpensively, he was getting almost uh, an original, but it wasn't quite, you know, it'd be like one of three pieces or something, you know, but, but it was like still pretty limited, and uh, it was a nice life, but then uh, this museum then what happened is I was on tour with Devo about five years ago and I was playing like a, I don't know what this place was if it was like the convention center or the 4-H club <laughs> arena or something like that I don't know Denver County Fair yeah, okay, there it is and uh This guy called me up and he said, come over and check out my museum. I have the Museum of Creative Arts in Denver. And uh, I had finished sound check and I thought, oh, I got like four hours before we go on, so why not? So I walked down this long street and I was looking at Denver and thought, wow, what an interesting city. And uh, uh, I got to his museum and the museum was great. It was beautiful, and it was like all museums. I, I had already got to this point where I wrote off museums as these places where, oh, it's for rich people. You know, museums are like, they're multi-million dollar buildings with multi-multi-million dollar art collections, and they're not about the real world. And uh, um, I met this guy, and he was like, he wanted to talk about Bruce Connor. and Bruce Conner was an artist in the 60s, 70s, and 80s who... Um, I'd cross paths with. He was a. He became a fan of Devo when we were playing at this punk club called Mabuhay Gardens in San Francisco, and I knew of him because I'd seen some of his films, like his A-bomb blast films, where he made uh, he, ma- he made this film that is hypnotize is mesmerizing, the way you see these A-bomb blasts over and over again in it, and uh, I'd seen a couple other short films he'd done that were and. He, you know, so we hung out a little bit in San Francisco and, and um, he asked if he could make a film, he asked if, I, if he could have a copy, uh, an analog tape copy of the song Mongoloid. He wanted to make a, a movie to it and we're like, yeah, that's a great idea. So we gave him this tape and he made this film mongoloid and he used to found footage, this awesome found footage that he, uh, some of it's I've only recently found out where the source material was but one of them was great where there's this like housewife and she's lifting up her hands with like strings of goo and she's on a ball, a giant gooey ball and it's part of a, a roll on deodorant and it's like, she's on this giant Ron. She's like going, yeah. And then there was like a guy that's at work and he's like, he sits back and starts to daydream and a suitcase closes up over him and then whisks him away. And in a split second later, it opens up and it's in Arizona. And he's like, he's like got sunglasses and a, and a drink and he's like in, now he's in Bermuda shorts and he's relaxing and uh, just all these amazing pieces of footage. And um so you're talking about how we met. Am I way off? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, so I, I knew. That, so this guy, you know, he like um. So this guy, handsome, rugged, <laughs> good looking, Go um, much more articulate than I'll ever be ever in my life. And you know, he we started talking, and I I told him I said, well. Uh, you know, Bruce made that film. He, you know, he was independent of us, you know. And, and But we started talking. I told him that I was doing art shows. And he got interested enough to come to L.A. and started going through these warehouses. I have multiple warehouses filled with with art. I would just, I just make stuff. And sometimes it got shown, but almost never, because I just was happy to do it. And he started looking at it and be became interested in enough that he suggested, what about doing a museum show? And my initial reaction was like, well, that, that, that can't be, What? why would I do that? And, and he talked me into it. He put this show together and uh, put this catalog together. And one of the things that really, uh, really uh, was so strong to me is, I found out that, other than MoMA in New York, there's probably no other museums in the U.S. that that are these bastions of you know like multi-million dollar buildings, multi-million dollars collection. It's just you know for the elite. What they are is they're like NPR radio stations, most of them. Are you, in, are you just in, telling people that I have to raise a lot of money in my job? Yeah, and I found out what his job is, and being a director isn't just like hanging out with beautiful people and, and you know, drinking champagne with Sylvester Stallone or something like that. <laughs> you know, It's like he's got this really important job. He's got to go into his community and ignite the imagination of people that can help support the... Uh, they don't want to hear about me, Mark. They want to hear about you. But not just you. There's a a whole bunch. (laughs) And every museum's different. That's what's amazing. Uh, I've been to eight museums, and I've seen places where they have a younger community, an older community, a mixed community, and each director has to be able to inspire the people in that community, and it gave me a whole other appreciation for museums, and a big part of that was the staff. At every museum I've been to, they all require these usually young, but they're of all ages, people that still believe in and love art and find it important to them, and they think it's important for the community. and they work really hard, just as hard as these like these young guys that had these little that harder in some ways, you know, and uh, I, I just. Thought, love art and that are willing to roll up their sleeves and help a show get, get completed and, and mounted properly. And um, I have this appreciation for museums that I'm embarrassed came very late in my life, and, uh, but I'm glad it did, because it changed my life. It changed the way I think about even my own art it's so much more now. It's, and the way I think about other people's art, it changed it, and I have to tell you that i in the last few years i 've been on one of the more uh, gratifying amazing uh, you know act seventeen or whatever this is now act thirty seven in my life has kind of been like one of the most amazing places and i 'm so lucky I got to do it um, so thank you, Adam. Yes. All right. Thank you. Thank this you. is Mark Mothersbaugh okay, on WCBN. Mark and Adam. That's, Mark and Adam. Yes. You guys are that's, so can we, fascinating can we, and entertaining can we, um, that can we've like, eaten our we've eaten our Q and A time. Uh, we have. Um, <gasps> sorry, what? Okay. Then, if you guys if you guys are up for it, the only thing is I have to pay the bills and and um, I only get this theater for 15 more minutes, so do it. Line up now if you want to. We can, do, we can have 15 minutes for Q&A. Yeah, okay. We're doing Q&A. Okay. All right, we, we can just all go out and hang in out in the parking lot or something. It is hi. raining still, I hope. Here I am. Um, okay. Hey, Mark, Mother's Pots, Amy OK. Oh, hi. Hello. And I have a Lady with you. white sunglasses and a cartoon on your chest. Oh. A wh- it's a whistle for you um, I'm sorry about your dad that he went away this year wanted to let you know Thank um, you. where else is your exhibit playing because that's what everybody here wants to know uh, w- New York City yeah, it's at the Grey Art Gallery at NYU and it will open in the spring so check the website for the Grey Art Gallery at NYU are yeah, these underpants? Cool. are these bloomers? You, you get, thank you. Um, Mark, you have another question over here. I, this is so weird. Um, my mom was in a rock band in the '80s, and I have a picture of you two together. And um, who's I, your mom? My mom was Karen Meso of The Little Girls. This is, do you do you know what I'm talking about? What does that mean? Oh. God. <laughs> um, but we talk about this picture all the time. I just wanted to show it to you. Is um, for me. Oh. Oh, and that was around. your boyfriend, Rodney Binghamheimer, it the DJ. It was not her DJ. boyfriend. <laughs> oh, <No>, it wasn't. <laughs> oh, maybe it was, he too. thought it was her boyfriend. Oh. <laughs> I'll have to ask her about that. Oh but, yeah. well, what are you doing here? Because that's Mark, I know where Mark's this this was in Santa Monica Civic. Yep. My, I grew up in Santa Monica. Oh, um, okay. I, my family moved to Portland, Maine a couple of years ago. I go to school here. I'm on my way to an audition for a thing, and I just had to run in and, uh, I don't know, I give it to you? I don't know. I just, I printed it. You I should, don't know what I'm doing. I'll keep it, but I will i don't Okay. I don't, yeah. Uh, don't show it to anybody. I, it looks like I have an adult diaper underneath my black shorts, but, you know, who knows? So, Maybe. Cool. This has been weird. Thanks. And your mom was cute. Yeah, I remember. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. We thought. That's we thought, Rodney. He gets. He's a DJ. He's a famous DJ. He gets all the time. Wait. We go now. We go to the left side here. Say hi. Is she? Mark. Is she okay? Okay. Yes. yes. No. I, no. you. Okay. Bye. Thank you. I should put these panties on while we're. Should I, I talk? Mean. Okay. Yes, Mark. Um, I don't really have a question for you. I just wanted to tell you. Um, Put the mic close to your mouth. I've been okay. in a rock band for. a long okay. time. Okay. You you, you, didn't hear you just me been there for some really pivotal moments in my life. Um, I was in art school in New York in like '79, and I went to a Devo concert. Many Devo concerts. I think I probably even. Waited outside to like assault you and the rest of the Devo guys. But um, <laughs> then many years later, in like 86, I went into an art gallery in New York and I bumped into you. And it was another pivotal moment in my life because I actually said to you, um, My mother's bow, you used to be my biggest fan. No, I used to be your biggest fan. So I got like so flustered seeing you. and. I remember, no, I Yeah. You were, really, yeah I, you were really, really nice And so I just wanted to thank you for being there And helping me in my life in various times oh. And I'm so happy to see you now That you're, you're doing wonderful And I love your art oh. and, and I might want to mention you pivoted very well Coming down here, so <laughs> Your pivotal <laughs> Momentum is working Thank you, Finally. thank you, thank you for saying that uh, of course, okay, there's no. somebody with a super high-tech chair, and I'm jealous. <laughs> that looks super great. Do you believe in synchronicity? Um, what? Do you believe in synchronicity? The, the question was, do you believe in synchronicity? Um, sure. Yeah, yeah. He says sure. Who doesn't? <laughs> Hi. I have this postcard I made. Can I trade you for one of yours? Um, does it have to have something on it? Because I avoid doing that. To, I, I go to great pains to avoid this. Yeah, let me see what I got. Let me see what I got. No, don't do it, cause then now if I do it, it'll mm. set a precedent, and then every single person in the room, I'll have to draw them a picture. I'll never get to bed tonight. You, I can't do it. I don't have the. That's fine. Keep that. Oh, Thank you oh, very much one. for that. Okay. Don't show anyone. Okay. Never here. Hi. That's a good drawing, though. Now I feel feel guilty. Oh well. Send it to the curator. Nice trying. It's good. I saw the uh, Raymond Scott documentary a few years ago and Which one? Ed- uh, Raymond Scott oh, yeah. and you ended up with his keyboard and I forgot the name of it. Motown the electronium. Had- yeah, did you ever get it up and running? Because it was kinda sad. Uh, the- I'll tell you where what's happening now. Either my brother Jim has this genius electronics guy that works with him, to, and they're going to take it, or it's going to go to Brian Cahew from uh, Moog Cookbook. I don't know if you know that band, because uh, he's very knowledgeable about this stuff, because it's, it's been to a couple different people, and, and when I first saw the keyboard, does anybody know who Raymond Scott is? Okay, yeah, he's like, for those who don't, he was like the Frank Zappa of Hollywood during the 30s, or the Spike Jones, before there was a Spike Jones, and he was in like uh, Bob Hope Road movies, Road to Morocco, his band would be sitting there with turbans, and they were, and, and they wrote all this, he wrote all this music in the 30s and 40s, back before, before cartoon music was considered um, copyrightable. They didn't even let you copyright your music if, in those days if it was for a cartoon, but, but his music got, re-recorded uh, by Carl Stalling in all sorts of Looney Tune movies, and then his current wife, well, when, when oh no, I, what am I saying current, because he's been dead for quite a while, but his wife, who I think is still alive, uh, was a second marriage who married him in the late 70s, and I went over to, a friend of mine, uh, was doing an article on him and said, hey, and I said, he's still alive? And he said, yeah, come on with me. So we went to his house, and uh, he had had about seven strokes and was like, it was over for, for him. It was so sad. He was, but he ran around the house, he looked like Uncle Sam, and he was going, hello, goodbye, hello. And he was just saying stuff like that. And um, she said, they, she found out that he wrote that music because of Ren and Stimpy, because they started getting ASCAP, Royalty statements, and she was going, "What's a Renan Stimpy? What is that?" And so then, uh, when she asked him about it, he just said, "Oh, that was a long time ago." And I went back into his laboratory, and everything was totally in disarray. It looked like it had been neglected for years, and there were all these acetates from. Uh, radio shows that he had, his band had played on, and it would say like Ella Fitzgerald with the Raymond Scott Band. And it, it's the only recording of it, you know, on this disc. And there were stacks of this stuff. And there was this guy that was like a gardener who now was the caretaker. And he said, hey, you want to hear one of them? And he walked across the room to us, and he went and stepped on and broke one. And we go, oh my God, you just broke one of those one-of-a-kind acetates he goes there's hundreds of them in here and so so when he passed away a few months later I I with a couple other people I helped get his intellectual archives collected protected as best as possible and it went to a university in the Midwest that specializes in that stuff and um, the only thing they didn't want to take was the electronium because it weighs like a ton and it was a work in progress um, if you ever get really bored, go, go look up um, Soothing Sounds for Babies, and uh, oh my God, it's so awesome, this three-album set that he did, where any, any, if you ever read articles about the Electronium, he, he says stuff like, it's the first musical instrument that writes music by itself. And, and now that's a big deal because there's some instrument now that wrote some horrible pop song I heard on on NPR a couple days ago, and it's got lyrics and everything, and it's real, But this, but this stuff that it wrote was kind of like it went. Uh, it was record one was for babies zero to six months old, and it went boop, beep, beep, boop, boop, beep, boop, 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 boop. and then record two, six months to twelve months, was boop, 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 beep, 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 boop, boop. boop, boop. And then record three was, you, you know, 12 months to 18 months. And went. Anyhow, so, yeah, we're hoping that we're going to get it working. Well, thanks. Over here. And, and thank you for saving it. Um, can you do an impression of Chucky Finster? Uh, no. I don't have the right glasses, but... That's, what, that's, that's, where it came, that's where that came from, anyhow. Awesome. <laughs> Hi. Uh, what's something that you um, never expected to come out of what you've created? Like something I never expected? Yeah, like you've had such a decorated life. You've done so many different things. What's something that you never expected? Also, I Okay, I'll tell you one for sure. <laughs> I never expected for all these cards that I draw every day, um, I always was totally uncensored when I made them uh, for since, you know, the early 70s. And I was totally uncensored and um, I would write things that I was really angry or that I was really paranoid or I was really sad or I was really happy or that I was being cynical or I, totally not PC or, or mimicking... Horrible things in the culture, uh, and because I'd show them to the, the only people that ever saw them—if anybody did—would be the other Devo guys, because we'd be on tour, bored to death, you know, just like sitting in a plane for 12 hours going somewhere. And uh, he got me to put them in—he to put all the books out on on these—we uh, put them on these low tables. It looked—we wanted it to look like, you know, like a plane crash and then all the, all the things that were part of the plane crash are all laid out so that, you know, the, so the FAA could go through and like try and figure out what happened. And so this one room uh, had all these low, he put these low hanging lights over it that were great. And um, I thought he was going to use, marijuana grow lights because it was the year that um marijuana became legalized in colorado but he found these other ones that were really good and we put them over top of these tables and is it the expense the expansive photo of all of the yeah there's photos you, somewhere did you see <laughs> yeah. thirty thousand? yeah i showed it to them the last yeah. the last photo of this Oh, uh, i love the symmetry top. in that as well like yeah, I remember room. being like, the first time I saw it, I got sick in the stomach. That I felt like I was the most naked I'd ever been in my whole life. And then I, I came around to loving that room the best, and that's the room I wanted to sleep in in every museum before they closed. So, that's so nice. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. You've been listening to Mark Mothersbaugh, at part of the Penny Stamp Speaker Series at the U of M Penny Stamp School of Art and Design on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Thank you for listening. Arwolf and face the music is coming up in just a minute and a half. This is a special thirty-second edition of Pandora's Lunchbox, in which I say I've been Mike for the last half hour, and play a station ID for you so that you might realize that this is WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Yes, I think it goes something like this. You know what this is? This is WCBN FM Ann Arbor, seven o'clock. Arwolf, face the music. Keep listening to WCBN. And don't ever stop doing that. All right, all right, all right, everybody, settle down. Come on now, now. Um, Welcome to the weekly meeting of the National Association of W C B and Lovers. Yeah, it makes the heart pound faster. All right, now, if you'll all turn to page four in the manual, we will sing the club song. All right, turn to page four. That's it. All right, now, everybody ready? Here we go. I'll begin. You can join in later. Here we go. Ah, what is that station? We love, what sound are we extra fond of? It's not any trouble, you know it's WCBN when you hear. WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Well, you can say that again. Hi, my name is R. Wolf, and it's 7 o'clock. And once again, it's Joe time. An entire hour of Joe tunes and music by people named Joe. This is the seventh in a series of programs dedicated to the memory of Mahavishnu Joe, our big orange cat. I'd like to open with something recorded in 1926 by Cornetist Johnny Dunn and the Plantation Orchestra. This is called Smiling Joe. Let's face the music together. (laughs)